0: on this episode of the Heat Check. The NBA season is almost here, so it is time to preview that season. We will start today talking about teams that will start out by tanking, ones that will surprise, and later on, ones that will contend. It's Victor and Scoop. Hoop for Scoot time. Good Lord, I love hoops. I am gonna be here all day, every day, breaking this down for the Heat Checkers. Also, as a special bonus, I am going to be featured, part of this will be featured on a roundtable preview of the NBA season on the Locked On Basketball Network, available wherever you get your podcasts, along with the YouTube Ultimate Pro Basketball Preview 2022 on the Odyssey app. So fun stuff here. Can't wait to do it. Let's drop that beat. With the NBA season two weeks away, what I thought that I would do is break down the upcoming season in a different way, looking at groups of teams from tankers to contenders to everyone in between. There's going to be six groups of five teams, each covering every NBA team, starting with contending to tanking. First and foremost, the big question on everyone, everyone's mind is who should be the title favorite going into the NBA season. And what other teams might be a contender? The odds right now sit like this. Boston Celtics plus 500. Golden State plus 600. Milwaukee Bucks plus 650. Brooklyn Nets plus 700. LA Clippers plus 700. I hate to say this. I really do. It's Golden State, and that's pretty much it for me. Like, it's not close. Like, Steph, for some reason, it's almost like no matter... What happens? Age just doesn't affect him. Every single year it feels like he's more and more unstoppable. And, like, all those defensive issues that he had, gone now. He's a, a real deal defensive player. Clay, I don't really care about all of this drama that has surrounded him about that mental block, about that scrimmage that he got injured in. That was three years ago. I can't imagine that this is something that really is going to be an issue going forward moving uh, in the long term. And, and then on tr- top of just the core, like, this is – one of the best cores in the NBA, but also, if not the best, I think they've got the best young group as well, right? It's actually disgusting. They've got not only just Poole, Wiggins, Looney, but they've got Wiseman. Wiseman, if he can stay healthy, I mean, that's been an issue for a long time now. But you've got Moses Moody, who is an absolute beast in the summer league. If Kaminga can get his head right, I know maturity's been an issue for him. Uh, and then the biggest factor for me on top of that is is Patrick Baldwin Jr., this is a kid, if he would have gone to Duke, Golden State would have had no chance to have gotten them, right? So long, athletic, he shoots the three really well. I don't think he's going to get a ton of run right away, but I think he's one of those guys that you see in, in the postseason really becoming a factor. Uh, and then another a, a sneaky piece for me that could step in for Gary Payton second is going to be Dante DiVincenzo. Very athletic, a very bouncy 6-4 player. He can do all the same things that, that Gary Payton could do, and I really like him in the system. He's already won a title. He he's got that championship DNA. And on top of Golden State, I think you have to really say LA Clippers and the Milwaukee Bucks. They're the only teams that I think really can match up with Golden State, obviously with Giannis. As long as Middleton's healthy, I think that this team from the East is the best. And You know, the Clippers are probably the deepest team in the NBA, with Kawhi, Paul George, if Paul George has that mentality that we want him to take another step. But on top of that, they've got Norm Powell, they've got, you know, Robert Covington, they've got just a plethora of riches, right? Batum, Reggie Jackson, and the addition of John Wall. If John Wall is healthy, oh my God, this team could be scary. Maybe the most fascinating team on this list is the Brooklyn Nets, who have the fourth-best odds to win the title. What do I think? of the Nets' chances. Also, probably sounds a little differently than than normally on Heat Check, these little answers. Um, Just know how to keep it a little more professional. No cuss words, a little bit more um, knowing my audience, shall we say. Man, this team is so confusing. I don't really know if anyone knows what to make of them, right? GMs around the league don't know what to make of them. So you can tell that this team is gonna be a conundrum for everyone moving forward. But this is probably the most amount of depth that the Nets have had since KD and Kyrie got there, since they gutted their team when they got rid of all those guys to get James Harden, which obviously was a terrible issue, right? But they actually have guys, they have dudes. We make fun of Steve Nash and his rotations all the time, but he didn't have a lot to work with either, right? And now he has dudes that he can incorporate in the rotation during important moments, right? You've got TJ Warren, who was an absolute bucket in the bubble. Is he gonna be healthy? I have no idea. Could he be really dangerous if he is healthy? Yeah. Has he been on ice because he didn't want to be in Indiana and Indiana didn't want to break him? I don't know. Like, but he averaged tw- almost twenty-seven points per game, six rebounds, two and a half assists in the- those ten games in the bubble. He's capable of being very, very valuable. The biggest thing is Ben Simmons, of course. What is his role gonna be, right, within the Nets organization? He said, you know, they've planned to to basically use him on the ball, right, he's gonna have the ball in his hands a lot in the half court sets, he's not gonna probably have it long, he's gonna be able to pass a ton, very quick passer, very underrated passer, right, and has insane court vision, has the ability to cut off the ball after the pass, I can't even believe, that I'm giving Ben Simmons this much shine, but how he's going to be used in this net system, I think has a lot of potential, right? He's gonna be able to bring the ball up under pressure effectively. That opens things up for Kyrie and KD as well in order to be, be able to make shots. That makes Nick Claxton a real deal lob threat as well. The question is also like, how does Ben Simmons stay healthy and engaged? Things look very good in the short sample size that we have, but we know Ben Simmons, when the lights get bright, tend to you know dim his own light, right? Defensively, the Nets are a mess. I don't know what they're going to be able to do. It's all about will for them. They have a bunch of guys that can defend. Kyrie can, KD can, Ben obviously can. So will they try to turn that on a little bit too late, or are they going to be able to really put their mentality in and gel defensively, be able to rotate and help for one another? Optimism level, though, very high. Very high. Moving on to teams that are seeking revenge this year. Phoenix Suns, Denver Nuggets, Miami Heat, Philadelphia 76ers, and the Dallas Mavericks. All playoff teams last year who feel like their seasons were ended prematurely, and they were. Which of these five teams do I think have the most to overcome in order to get to the finals? What team do I think is really in here for revenge? Well, I think there's a couple, right? I think number one, you can't count Miami out. It's always very ugly watching Miami in the postseason, even during the regular season, right? But they've been in the mix now multiple years in a row where they've got that pedigree. They always add these guys that you've never heard of before. Somehow these undrafted players turn into key rotation guys that end up either able to get money on the Heat or able to get money somewhere else. They lost P.J. Tucker and you think to yourself, well, they didn't really add anyone else. And then you look and see... Dig a little deeper. Darius Days, baby, out of LSU. He could be very interesting. One of Jerry West's favorite young players. He goes undrafted. If Kyle Lowry ends up being himself, which he wasn't really all last year, if you know he is, I think that's a matchup problem. Are they good enough to beat a healthy Bucks team? No, of course not. Almost no one is. But look what happened last year. Sometimes your imaginary matchup never ends up happening, right? And then in the West, I think... Denver is one of those teams that's being slept on, right? It's really easy to forget how close Denver ended up playing Golden State. Jokic was carrying the load. Three out of the five games were very tight. Even game two, halftime, very tight, right? Jokic was making it a sweat. And then you add back in Jamal Murray, who was a bubble god. Like he went down to an ACL injury. I think he's going to be really good. Obviously, Michael Porter Jr. coming back from injury, probably even more important, very versatile two-way wing. He can shoot the leather off the ball if they get him in the mix, and he's healthy. That really helps. You add Christian Braun and Peyton Watson, super, super intriguing, with Bruce Brown, with KCP. I think this team's really interesting. I think they're going to be a matchup problem. And on top of that, you've got Jokic, who's you know one of the best, if not the best centers in the world. Lots of things have to go right for each of these teams to make a deep run. What are they? Oh boy, I tell you what. First and foremost, let's talk about the Suns. The Suns are one of those teams that could really be derailed by locker room issues, right? Like, they gotta get rid of that drama. They have to shake that off. Ayton either needs to be moved in January to a place that he wants to go, or there needs to be a peace treaty with the teammates. CP3 grinds his guys down to dust like I think that's annoying to his teammates that needs to be fixed Ayton has to be a very consistent force I think Cam Johnson needs to be better on defense now that he's a starter and has alienated Jay Crowder to the point where he's not even showing up right you need to be that guy that ends up pushing Jay Crowder out you need to deserve that CP3 of course it's an issue He's never healthy when it comes down to it, right? I know that there was COVID concerns, but on top of that, CP3 hasn't been healthy. Multiple playoffs. And, and Booker needs to be an MVP. He just needs to have that type of a season. And Monty Williams, I can't forget about him. He needs to be better at making in-game adjustments in order for them to go back to the finals again. Uh, in terms of Philly, Philly's a very intriguing team. James and Embiid, though, I think the number one thing for them is that they have to become one person. Like, the number one thing that Doc Rivers has said is that, James, you need to figure out when to be aggressive, when to end up feeding Embiid, and when to facilitate to your other teammates and get them involved, right? And if James can be some meshing between Houston James and Brooklyn James, and that balance is really right, I think that they could be very dangerous, and they need to figure out a way to to become a better rebounding team. They were one of the worst in the NBA at that, and that's why they got P.J. Tucker. I think that should help. And then Dallas, let's be honest. They're not contending this year. They need to acquire someone. That's just what it is. Like, you can't just lose Jalen Brunson and not pick anybody up. Sorry, Christian Wood. You're a nice piece, but I don't think that's going to be enough. And do you trust Spencer Dinwiddie to put up 41 if Luka's on the bench with an ankle injury? Hell no! Can I say hell no? Hell no! I do not trust Spencer Dinwiddie to be the guy. I've seen him in Washington, right here in the DMV. I've seen him in Brooklyn. Like it's just not. It's just not for me. And then you know, Javale McGee, Christian Wood, nice piece. They're gonna need to be the best versions of themselves, right? Get easy buckets. Prediction to me, they fall very far in the standings. Potentially a play-in team. Really disappointing. And you know, I think they do need to add another piece in order to really contend. The rise. There's a great group of teams out there that I would consider to be on the rise. I'm talking about Cleveland, Memphis, Minnesota, New Orleans, and Toronto. The big question is, which of these teams had the most interesting additions? It's a tough one, right, because you look at Gobert, you look at Mitchell, and you look at Zion returning, and they all have their own unique little wrinkles. To me, the Gobert ad is the most fascinating, because that shows, really, that Minnesota's committed to Carl Anthony Towns being himself not doing something that he's not good at, right? Be a three-point machine, do your weak side blocking, allowing him to be the offensive threat that we know that he can be at all times without having to be the sole rim protector. And then Rudy, no no doubt, is going to be able to anchor this defense. Hopefully Ant and D'Lo are going to get him some lobs because we know Donovan Mitchell never did when he was in Utah. Will teams, though, the question for me is will teams look to go small and run Rudy Gobert off the floor like the Clippers did when they went five out in the playoffs two years ago. Minnesota, to me, is so close to being so good as as long as they remain flexible with their roster depending on who the matchup is, i.e., maybe, benching Rudy Gobert if you have to in the playoffs. Zion, of course, very interesting for the same sort of reasons, right? How do B.I. and Zion work together on the court at the same time? We know that B.I. had issues with Zion. Not like from a personal standpoint, but just from a basketball standpoint. They both need the ball. Same sort of situation as Carl Anthony Towns and Rudy in terms of like, how does it fit? I'm very intrigued about that. That's been an issue. He definitely looks dominant. I know offensively Zion's going to be great, but we know another issue for him was, does he get back on defense? This team was anchored by its defensive prowess last year, why they gave the Phoenix Suns fits. How does Zion change that if he's maybe a little lazy getting back? Right? How does that change the identity of New Orleans and what they built with while he was gone uh, in Oregon and back with the team and rehabbing? Like that's something really interesting moving forward, and and something that I think is a real sort of potential hiccup. The other question is who among this group breaks through first and actually gets to the finals? Difficult question to answer. I've been racking my brain. I have an answer. I vacillated over this one. I really did. It just has to be, and I know they're taking a step this year, but this is a long-term question, right? It's got to be the Grizz. They're so deep. They took Golden State to the absolute brink, right? Ja gets hurt, and they still end up winning a game. Many of those playoff moments were very much 50-50. I think John Morant getting injured obviously hurt them a lot. They've got a ton of picks already. They have a very deep team that they can trade assets. And if they wanted to go out and get a star, obviously Jaron Jackson being out this year hurts them. But I really do think that they are that team, like a very deep, very athletic team that has built organically for an identity that they have, much like the Pelicans as well. But I think that they're just maybe a step forward from the Pelicans, maybe a little bit early in terms of real contention. Cleveland, of course, is super interesting as well because they've got a lot of versatility. But I don't know necessarily how the two small guard lineup, two guards that don't play defense really works. I saw that. I'm a Portland Trailblazer fan. Dame CJ, ask me how the heartbreak was. How does that work in Cleveland? I know they have defensive reinforcements, right, and I think that really helps. But if you're a mid-range jump shooter, you're going to be able to get by and cook Darius Garland and cook Donovan Mitchell, even though he says he can play defense. We'll see. And be able to get into that middle zone before the reinforcements really get there. So I don't know necessarily how far they can go, but I do think they're a super interesting team that's going to be able to compete night to night. Big names, big questions. The next group of teams all have huge question marks hanging over their heads. I'm talking about the Lakers, the Hawks, the Knicks, the Bulls and Portland. My Portland Trailblazers. Of these, the teams with the biggest question heading into the season is obviously the Los Angeles Lakers. Also the New York Knicks. What do we have to say about them? To me, the biggest, biggest question marks are surrounding two teams, right? One on the East Coast, one on the West Coast. Both with fan bases that are delusional as all get out. Number one is the LA Lakers. Purple and gold, just a cloud of controversy surrounding them. When you asked me off camera, you said, what are the Lakers' biggest questions? I said all of them. All of them. So many pressing questions. They all center around the point guard position, right? Like, what's happening with Russell Westbrook? It's very strange. Is he going to get moved? Is he going to be a six man? Is he going to buy into this new role? I feel like this has kind of been what we've been asking about Russell Westbrook for years now. How is he going to adapt? Is he ever going to cut off ball? Is he ever going to be able to shoot jump shots? I know that these are the same old questions, but we haven't gotten any new answers. So the questions remain. They didn't have spacing and shooting. Do they now? Big question mark. Is Anthony Davis playing 82 games? Absolutely not. How many will he play? Big time question mark. So many questions on a team that has, I don't know, the best player of my generation trying to win another title and Rob Palenka doing absolutely nothing to surround him with people who will make him better. And then I think for me, I think you have to take it to the East Coast in the Knicks, right? Like the biggest question for them is you now have a point guard who can get you a bucket, but how does that actually influence the guy who loves to have the ball in his hand, Julius Randle? Are you going to get most improved player, Julius Randle? Or are you going to get what we saw him last year, which is him dribbling a million times and then stepping back at the very end of a shot clock? Just a random, contested jumper, right? He doesn't need to play point guard anymore. That's good. He can play a much more natural position for his size. But he likes to have the ball in his hand, and he makes a lot of money, so you're going to need to figure out how to use him, and he's going to need to figure out how to buy in. Is that going to happen? I have no idea. Is he going to be a post-up shooter now? Is he a spot-up shooter? That's something I'm very curious about. And I also think another big curiosity is how is Tom Thibodeau going to coach? Because we know he loves those veterans. But it's a youth movement now, baby, and he needs to get on board or get on out. Another good question is what team will be the most different moving forward? I like how really quickly I'm just, like, uh, doing – what I did for the Jerry West interview and the Nick Nurse, but it's just me that I'm teeing up for, from another recording. So it's just, like, very weird. It's like, what did Trista have to say? We tune in. <laughs> the team that's going to be the most different going in from last year to this year is very, very obvious if you look at this grouping, right? Uh, it's the Blazers. They have uh, a healthy Damian Lillard now. Hopefully they don't shut him down for the year again. That would be a big surprise. I hope that they're not tanking again intentionally. That was probably the most, I don't know, embarrassing, obvious, blatantly disrespectful, whatever you want to call it, tank we might have ever seen in the NBA. Like they just shut everyone down for broken toenails. It was like from the OKC level to a whole nother stratosphere, right? And I, I guess the question is, how different does Dame look with Anthony Simons? That's going to be very different. How different? I have no idea. You've got a very happy Nurkic now that he got paid, thanks to Clutch Sports. You've got a, a Jeremy Grant, who is one of the better defenders in the league when he's been healthy. You've got a very long, rangy Nasir Little, a Josh Hart. Guys that really fit in with what I think Chauncey Billups wants to do, which is have heart, have intensity, be able to like defend. And... Hopefully Damian Lillard does some defending, too, because that's been his major, major weakness and something that's held them back in the postseason and in the regular season because they were the bottom of the barrel defensively for a very long time. So I think this team's a very ways away, but they're still, like, another level up from disrespectfully tanking. hopefuls there are five teams with play-in aspirations sacramento charlotte washington detroit and indiana the question is which of these teams could be a play-in team first and foremost i think you have to kind of look to the west because i think there's a lot of competitive uh like sort of versatility there you saw the pelicans make it to the play-in and they started off like one in twenty. So I would start first and foremost and take it to the West Coast. This is gonna sound really gross, and it's gonna sound like I'm pandering because I'm very, I'm very connected and, and beloved within the Sacramento Kings fan base. And I might be insane. I might be insane. Say, test me for some sort of LSD or drugs, but it feels like it's the Kings. It does. No, it does. If Keegan Murray can be who we know he has the potential to be this year, which is rookie of the year, right? A guy who can get you 25 points on any given night, be a really good defender, a really good sneaky rebounder. Uh, If Mike Brown can get this team to actually buy into defense and they should be able to gel and find some level of mediocrity on defense, right? Because you're going to get a lot of very easy games because you've got San Antonio and you've got Utah blatantly, aggressively, and disrespectfully tanking for Victor Wambayama. So you're going to get a lot of those games from them that they're just going to hand over to you. That's going to happen in the East as well. And I don't think Sacramento is interested in the least in disappointing their fan base. I think they're trying to compete, Right. I think that they have a lot of young guys who can score. They're gonna be able to put up buckets. Kayvon Herter, right? We know he can score. Sabonis, Keegan, Malik Monk off the bench, we know he's a little microwave. So if they can figure out a way to defend on any level, and they can pick up easy games from teams that are very obviously trying to tank, I think they could sneak in like 10 seed. I don't think that's I don't think that's too crazy. And which of these teams is one step away from from becoming a play in team and what will that step be to make it to the next level? Well I think it's tough, right? Because you could easily just say Charlotte because Charlotte's been a play in team, but boy are they a disaster. We have no idea what's going on with Miles Bridges, whether he's ever gonna play basketball again, whether Gordon Hayward's ever gonna be healthy, how that whole thing is going to work with you know Steve Clifford coming back again. So I'm just gonna table all expectations for them, even though they've been in the play in not, not that long ago, right? I think you have to say, okay, what were the Indiana Pacers who are very clearly rebuilding trying to do this offseason? They were trying to get DeAndre Ayton. Can they still get DeAndre Ayton? Absolutely. Did it look like Ayton wanted to go to Indiana? Absolutely. Is it possible in January for them to make that move if DeAndre Ayton wants it to happen? Yes. So I think that's the move. Like you look at Ben Matherin, you look at I know Chris Duarte. I know he's not going to be like a, a starter necessarily, but this is a, a guy who can get you some buckets as well. You've got Hallie who's in the mix. Obviously Miles Turner probably not going to be there long term, but you've got some pieces here, and I think that they're really interesting. If you added them with Jalen Smith already to play four, and then a, a guy like DeAndre Ayton who they have played together for Phoenix, I think then they're actually a team that could very easily get into the play-in. But Aiton's not somebody that you can just pick up off the street. That's going to be a big move that they'll have to make. But that's the move. That's, that's the move that they were very clearly trying to do, and that's the move that I think is still on the table for them. The last five teams, Orlando, Sacramento, OKC, Utah, and Houston, are all playing the same, the game of the decade. Brick for Vic. Poot for Scoot. The specter of Victor Wembanyama is hanging over all five of these teams' heads. What's the path out for this group? It's different for each team. Yeah, I think tanking absolutely still works and it's still going to continue to persist, right? The lottery system changes it. Of course, it makes it a little bit harder to just blatantly tank and get the guy that you want. But as long as there are these perennial or sort of like transcendent generational talents out there, which they will exist, Victor Wambanyama being one of them, Scoot Henderson being one of them, like if you can get him and you're not contending, then what are you doing with your life if not tanking, right? (laughs) Like, that's the only option. You're either contending or you're tanking. And it's very difficult to be one of those in-between teams. As a Portland Trailblazer fan, I know how that feels. It feels like going absolutely nowhere, right? The team that gets Victor Wamanyama is going to change their franchise for 15 years, right? If he works out to be who we think he's going to be, that's enough of a reward to take the risk of sort of destroying your franchise for the short term, right? And then in terms of like what the path out is, there really isn't one, right? Like as long as Victor's on the board, there's no path out, especially for teams like Utah. Utah's stacking up picks into perpetuity. Just like Oklahoma City Thunder, like, that's Sam Presti's mindset. It's like, I'll take picks till 2099 until my son's son is running this team, right? And Oklahoma City Thunder, only the only real, I guess, group that could potentially be out of the tanking conversation this year... But again, like, if you could imagine a scenario with Victor Wambanyama and Chet on it, I don't even know how you could guard them. The reward, again, is still enough to take the risk, especially considering Shea seems very committed to being on this team. He's not going to ask out. Josh Giddy's still very young. You're shutting Chet down for the year. You've got some other young guns in the two Jalens, right? You don't know what they are going to be, but... I think they're the only group you could say is very close to being a play-in team, but they can always decide to tank at the very last minute like they did last year, and that's proven to be very successful, fruitful, and, and sort of flexible for, for Oklahoma City. So I, I don't see a path out for really any of them. Finally, who is the one player this year from this group that everyone needs to keep their eyes on? Hint, hint, it's not Paolo Bancaro. To me, in this group, it's not close. And you could say, oh, you know, it's Paolo, right? And Paolo's, Paolo's the easy answer, let's be honest. Like, if you've never seen Paolo in person, which I'm sure all of, of you folks on the round table have, but it's like he was magnified 1.8 size the, times the size of a normal human being, right? He's not like a stretched out Victor Womanyama. He's, of course, a, a talent that's someone you have to watch. But someone that's under the radar for me has got to be Josh Giddey. Just a kid who's absolutely dazzled. He got shut down due to tanking, of course. I believe it was a hip injury. But he's a star. Like, he's got court vision that's impossible to replicate. He's a really elite scorer. He's working on his jump shot now from deep with the San Antonio Shot Doctor, which I think could really help him and SGA. Now that Chet is out, I think all eyes are going to be on him to have the ball. I think Giddy's gonna have a much larger role now that we know what he can do. And and before he got injured from November till February, he was the Western rookie of the month every single month. What's he gonna do in year two? You saw what he did in the summer league. He's ready to absolutely ball. He's my number one player out of this group to watch and keep my eyes peeled on. Just got time for a quick little story around the league. First and foremost, there is drama of brewing in Golden State. Jordan Poole has apparently been changing. He's been changing ever since he found out he was going to make $200 million. Shocking. (gasps) Could that be? I got an an Audi. An Audi Q5. I've been treating everybody different ever since. (laughs) No, you can't get in my Audi. Take your shoes off. I knew it was going to happen. He said to Wiggins right after they won it all, you're getting the bag. I'm getting the bag. It's like, dude. You just want a title. You're talking about getting paid. And Dre may not be getting the bag, right, because Poole is, and Draymond's getting older, and he may be a little salty about it, but they were chirping back and forth. It escalates, and then all of a sudden Draymond says, what do the five fingers say the face? Punch! Apparently there's some history between these two. You have to imagine that it's the Michigan-Michigan State rivalry. You know, the, these two teams hate each other, right, in college basketball. Poole is a Wolverine, Dre is a Spartan, there's hate there. And also, let's be honest, I hate to say it, but Jordan Poole, as much as I love him, is annoying. He's very, very annoying when he wants to be. Does this matter in the grand scheme of things? Will this affect their title's chances? Is Golden State on the brink of crumbling their dynasty? No, I would be shocked if it impacts them in any given way. But it is an interesting story, and I do love the tea. And in prior years, I might have just bit on and held on to this and chewed on it and made something like a mountain out of it in order to try to find a way to hold on to the belief that Golden State wasn't who we thought that they were. But no, it's not going to happen. As long as Steph has both hands and both ankles and Clay is healthy and Draymond is healthy, don't worry, Dubs fans. The evil empire will just keep on rolling, keep on winning titles. Moving forward, LeBron James. He is very interested in owning an NBA franchise. We know that. We know he's all about finding the right time. Kairos is his greatest strength. This is no secret, not even a little bit. However, news broke today in a fascinating way. During a routine preseason news conference in Vegas, LeBron used a simple question about expanding a team in Vegas to strong-arm Adam Silver into giving LeBron the Vegas expansion team. Are you serious? He said this. I would, quote, love to bring a team here at some point. That would be amazing. I know Adam Silver is in Abu Dhabi right now, but he probably sees every interview and transcript that comes through from NBA players, so... I want the team here, Adam. Thank you. Oh. Um, on the heels of Putin almost getting assassinated today, uh... LeBron's a little too putin right now for his own good. Like right now he's making demands of the commissioner saying he's going to own a team. You still are an NBA player that is active right now, Bron. You can't be overtly dictatorial to the commissioner of the NBA in your 20th season. You have to be a little more sneaky and sly than that. You can't just be over here invading the Ukraine and drafting 200,000 people into your army. You can't do that. You end up getting a potential Assassination attempt while you're in your limo. That's how these things can escalate, Braun. You can't start a media blitz to try to force Adam Silver into giving you a franchise in Las Vegas. Of interest is immediately after Braun's presser, Woj, dropped a bomb that said the NBA wants to put its new TV rights deal and collective bargaining agreement behind them. Before any talk of an expansion team, presumably in Vegas and Seattle, happens, which probably means 2025 is the earliest we'll see new teams in the NBA. That'll give LeBron a whole lot of time playing with his two sons and doing more Putin-esque strong arming. That's all the time that we have for the Heat Check. We'll be back Thursday, whenever it is, for a new episode Check out the feed for past episodes of the off season. Please do not forget to download, subscribe, please tell your friends, and follow us on social at, at This Heat Check and Tristan Crick on TikTok because the heat check, like you, TikTok fans, never sleeps.